Hi, how would you like to advertise on Conversations with Dwyer? Email me at conversationswithdwyer and we can talk about it. Or actually email me about it. But whatever you're advertising, whether it be your product, your music, or just yourself, that ad will reach around the world and it will live on that episode or multiple episodes forever. So please email me at conversationswithdwyer at gmail.com and let's get emailing about it and get some ads up here. All right? All right, let's listen to this episode. One, two, three, four. Welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is an independent music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Tuned to Graffiti. It's by New Bums and they're out from their album Last Time I Saw Grace, which comes out March 19th on Drag City Records. And my guest today is in that band. And he's also Six Organs of Admittance. And that is Ben Chasney. I'm very excited to have him on. This is a great conversation. All links to Ben Chasney and his work, because he's worked with a lot of people, and New Bums and all that stuff, Bandcamp, etc., etc., is in the show notes. So please check out um, those things and buy buy the music, because we're in a rough time and bands can't tour. So Bandcamp is all we have, or not all they have, but it's a very it's a great way to support musicians. Um, also, speaking of show notes, all things Matt Dwyer in the show notes. You can go to the mattdwyer.com. That'll take you to my social media. My my Instagram is a great way to find out about past shows and future shows. And speaking of which, if you don't know about my past shows and you're a new listener, check out my library. I've interviewed a lot of uh, great musicians in the past, like Alicia Ambrosio, who also uh, is uh, Ben's partner in life and she's from the magic markers in case you didn't know that and she also has a great solo record out as well and she was a past guest uh steve gunn was on tim presley harmar superstar the list goes on please check out my pack past library and if you like the show and you like what you're hearing and you want more you could become a patreon subscriber and speaking of patreon ben and i talked for two hours you get an hour here in the podcast on my patreon you get the full episode and you get to hear me say some things that I was afraid to uh, post because I didn't want to get hate mail about a certain band that sometimes I'm critical about that everybody loves. Ooh, the mystery. How will you find out what the answer to this mystery is? How will you solve it? Well, you become a Patreon subscriber. And um, so please check out uh, the new Bums album. Go to the, to Bandcamp. Buy it from Drag City. And uh, always support music and uh, support podcasting. And that being said, let's get on with this conversation with the splendid Ben Chesney. I moved away quite a while ago. So I was first place was Santa Cruz and then Oakland, San Francisco, Seattle. And then um, Elisa and I moved out to Massachusetts, um, and then we were living in Connecticut. So, yeah, I was living in a few places the last 25 years. That gets, uh, does that get 
is that just part of like what you do or is that get a little bit like that frazzling after a while is frazzling a word <laughs> uh, yeah i think it is I, my just brain was definitely so- frazzled during all of those moves yeah uh i don't know i think there was i just had a had, had a sense of um dissatisfaction with every place i would was living at and I was always looking for something better. And that's something I realized throughout all those moves was that every place is bad and good. So you just need to embrace the good. I, you know, so I stopped trying to find the ultimate place to live. That was kind of part of it. It definitely kept things like my record collection pared down because it's a real pain in the ass to move a lot of records across the country and things like that. So it's kept me a bit more of a minimalist in terms of things that I own. Yeah. That's, I used to be the same way and I would literally just throw things in a duffel bag and I'd be on my way. And now I'm like, I couldn't fucking do that. (laughs) It's like we have so, just cause we've been, you know, settled for a while. Did, Did you, is, do you think there's a connection with the, the endless moving and sort of, and creative curiosity of sort of always seeking something, if that makes sense. Mm, I don't know. I think I just had, for me, I just, I just had, I, for me, I just, I just always thought that there was maybe something better at, in another place, which is, yeah, that that was, which seems a bit different than, for me personally doing different things creatively or anything like that. Um, but you said you moved around quite a bit. Why, where were you going? From, <laughs> where, where, did, where did you, where did you end up moving from place to place? Uh, I moved, I actually moved s- cross country six times in once in a year. I moved to Chicago. Oh, you did. I went to Chicago, to New York, New York, to Chicago, Chicago, to Vegas, back to New York, and then to LA all within a year. And that's crazy. And I got to LA and I told my, I wanted to move to the Pacific Northwest, but I told myself I'd have to give myself some time in LA because I just moved so much. Um, right. And I feel like in New York, I just wasn't happy. I couldn't, I didn't feel like myself there. And I thought I would, um, I felt like I, I belonged in New York until I got to New York. And then I was like, Oh, this is all wrong. And I was, I don't think I've, uh, but I think I move, my desire to move was sort of searching and trying to find a place I felt like I belonged, which uh, I, I felt like I belonged in Chicago, but I also felt like I it was time to go. And then when I went, and then when I went back to Chicago, I thought I'd love it. And I felt restless immediately. So I felt like I no longer belonged there. And, hmm. Are you from Chicago? Yeah, I grew up outside of it, and then I lived and worked in that in the city for like a decade. And I also had this dream. My dream. I worked at Second City, so that was like my hmm. dream job. And when that came to an end, I had to. I felt like, but I, I don't know. I really never felt like I fit in an, or was at home in LA. But I felt like there was. I don't know. I I, I still so can, you- go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I guess when you say fitting in, and you're you're talking about community, it's more than uh, the feel of the city, or are you talking more about people, or do you are you talking more about like your general 
uh, how happy you were with the aesthetics of where you were? I think it's a combo. That's an interesting question. Uh, but definitely, I think I've always was seeking community because my family fell the fuck apart when I was a kid. <laughs> mm, right. And, uh, right. Uh, I, and I lost any sort of structure in my life. Like right. I, I had no dad at, at suddenly at like 13 and my mom had a lot on her plate. So I just sort of became this wandering around. And mm. So I, I, and like, I did, surely didn't fit into where I grew up, like in the suburbs of Chicago, which was very, the, right. my town was very like working class. And, uh, there was a lot of, for, I hate to use this phrase, white trash. I said, that's horrible, right? <laughs> but I just, and it was a lot of, there was not a lot of uh, adventure, like curiosity wasn't uh, encouraged, and especially when it came to music. And so I had to, like, mm. I had to hide the music I liked because <laughs> I didn't want to get right, beat up. Right, <laughs> right, right. It was like, you liked fucking heavy metal and like classic rock, or you were considered like a, gay or something and they would beat you <laughs> so were you listening to you sound like you were listening to the cure uh i got into i liked the cure but i also like uh like rem early rem and and like yeah uh, like the very early u2 and yeah. Um, then I got into the, like Dead Milkman and like punk a little bit, and it was yeah. And I also liked big band jazz, which was just <laughs> like no one. Yeah, liked that's peculiar. That. That's <laughs> that's peculiar. Yeah, for a for a teenager, you were like you were putting on some big band jazz records. I had that's like, amazing. I had like Glenn Miller, and I I loved the Mills Brothers, and then Chicago radio was very diverse. Okay. So like there was like great blues programs, like there was a blues to uh, sun, sunrise and I would tape that on cassette and go like overnight and then listen to it during the day did you because you that's great you lived in like Eureka so was that how was that like musically for because I thought you were from a smaller town I don't know much about Eureka but uh, Eureka is pretty small town it's it's just it just happened to be sort of the biggest town between San Francisco and maybe Eugene um, maybe even Portland. It might be bigger than Eugene, Oregon. I'm not sure. Um, it's a pretty small town. It's very secluded. It's about a six hour drive North of San Francisco. And it's, yeah, it's just a kind of a secluded place, but, um, it was close enough to the Bay area that touring bands would come up. So it was, um, very influenced by, I would say like East Bay kind of punk that was happening, especially lookout records and stuff. And every once in a while we get harder bands like Neurosis would come through. We'd get the Melvins and we get stuff like that. And or sometimes national touring bands would come through to influence what the kids were listening to. Um, that's as a teenager, um, in high school. So there, it has its own scene that was going on. And there, ha there have been musicians of, come from the area that are probably more well-known. Um, like, let me think, uh, like the Mr. Bungo guys are all from Eureka. That's a, that's a Eureka band. Um, although they, they definitely discredit if you ever <laughs> their interviews, it's amazing. I mean, they had a lot harder time than me because when they were growing up, I think that divide between, 
the weirdos and you know the normies were there's a little little stronger so i think they had a pretty tough time so i they hold a lot more resentment towards the area i feel like maybe not anymore i don't know but um i've definitely read interviews with those guys where yeah they're not into the area were you a weirdo or a normie (laughs) we call we were freaks and what was it freaks and we're i can't remember but yeah what would did you consider yourself oh i mean i just i hung out with the skateboard crowd even though i never picked up skateboarding myself but all my friends did so we would just so that was kind of the crew but then there were kind of some i also had goth friends and so yeah it was just a mixture of yeah, listening to Bauhaus or uh, DRI or something. It was very strange. So, but everyone was just, I don't know. I, mean, I don't even know if we had a name for ourselves at the time. I think I just picked up that normie. I think I was listening to Eric Davis talk. Uh, maybe, maybe it was, he was giving a lecture. Maybe that's, he used that term recently. So it's probably why it's stuck in my head. Um, was it, cause I was, I'm, I, I'm not sure if that was like pre-internet or what. I just was because I feel like, at least from what I've read, it was. I'm old. (laughs) Pre-internet. I'm gonna. I might be older, but I'm. uh, I'm not gonna have an old off with you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or we could, but I was just because that seems like a more musically diverse environment than you were in, and because I know you started getting attracted to. like private press records is what I, which I never knew. I don't exactly know what that is. Mm, that'd be late. Yeah. Later. So after high school, uh, yeah, I was in kind of doing punk band stuff and then I kind of dropped out just, I always felt, I've always been a bit of a hermit and yeah. So I became even more of a hermit and just started listening to other records and, yeah, private press records. Some catalogs started coming through where you could order more private press kind of things. Um, is that like the same and, as an indie label, or is that? Well, a private press record would be more just somebody who decides to press their own record somewhere along the line, um, where you know maybe some some strange folk guy from the seventies or something decides to press up a record by himself. So and then. Yeah, they generally call it private press or anybody doing kind of their own music and pressing up their own records. And so I kind of got into that that scene a bit. And it was really inspiring because it kind of showed me that, oh, you, you can kind of participate in that sort of thing as well. And did did that, did you not like, were you more attracted to that world and not wanting to sort of uh, like be on a, go after sort of the bigger label type thing. I always find it interesting what what people, like what their goal is and what 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 they want as their success because I think it's easily, mm. I think it's easily what the term success is, is easily blurred. And I know it's been blurred for me in, in my path sometimes. Right, right. Have you found, so you found that, your idea of success has changed over time. I yeah. Now I just sort of. Uh, I just think it's weird because we always define it by money. I think is the first like if when I talk about my podcast, one of the first questions that comes up is like, "Oh, do you make any money off of that?" And I'm like, "Is that why I fucking right. started doing it?" No. <laughs> right. I mean, right. That right. is a that is definitely something I would like. I would strive to like have this be my full time thing. 
but that's not going to, whether it is or not, it's like, I'm going to do it anyway. It doesn't, because I do it because I love it and it keeps my brain active and I get to learn. Like that to me is success is that I do it and that I get to talk to these people that I'm fascinated by. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think this is a bit of the same thing where uh, I, I feel like I have had some success in things that I didn't even knew. I didn't even know were things to have success in in the first place, but they came after doing things such as meeting people perhaps around the world that I never would have met before and, and developing friendships and really good friendships with people in other countries that I never thought about that when I decided to do music, but now I consider, well, you know, that's, that's really, I feel successful as a musician because I have done things that I never would have done if I didn't become a musician in that way. And that's, yeah, money's, I mean, it's the kind of music I play. I'm never going to, it's never going to happen really, but you know, it's not, and that wasn't, that's never been, I mean, I feel when I first started doing, I mean, it was a success just to put out my very first record on vinyl when a couple guys with an older band just said, do you, you, uh, do you want to put this out on vinyl? And that was success. It was like, you know, press up 500 of them is incredible. I mean, so I don't think I've ever, well, maybe I have, but there's, that was definitely one of the, one of the happiest moments of my life is just somebody saying, Hey, you, can we do this record in addition to 500 of you and do some paste on covers and send that out? And that was, that was incredible feeling. Um, so I felt that was my success right there. I was like, Oh, that's great. And then you had Brian Cowley. Did I, I think that's his name, correct? Did he contacted you? I mean, that must've been, um, a, a, an affirmation, correct? Who is that again? I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, Brian Cowley, I think his name was. He was like a, a music critic who wrote to you about your records. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Brian, uh, Brian Coley. Coley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Brian. Uh, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> oh, 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 Byron. Um, Did I really fuck yeah. up his name? <laughs> <laughs> My handwriting is terrible. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, Byron Coley. Um, yeah, that was definitely a big. So, I mean, having Byron write a little. Um, write a little letter saying, Hey, you want to come out and play? And that was, that was, that was pretty cool. That was definitely really cool. So, you know, little things like that people I admired writing in and, uh, that's kind of all I wanted was to be able to engage with the world from my bedroom, being a hermit. I'm, I'm not very good at talking. I don't like hanging out in groups, but I did still want to engage with the world. So yeah, that's, that was, that was a big part of doing music in the first place. Was it, that became your your means of, I guess, communication and engaging? Yeah, yeah, definitely, and and meeting people, and I mean, it forced me to do things like go on tour, which was terrifying. But um, it was a good skill to learn how to actually like talk to people face to face and meet people and be a human being. So that's a success to become a human being. That was great. But I I didn't I was right in there. I did not know that was something I was going for. But once I became a human being, I said, "Hey, I've got some success. This is great." Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I'm the same way. Like yesterday, we were heading out somewhere, and I was like, "I don't, I don't want to go somewhere today." And I'm like, "I haven't gone anywhere in fucking months. Like, what is wrong with me?" Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everyone's kind of a hermit now in a way. Um, 
Yeah, I'm curious. Did did are you still like terrified of touring, or has that become? No, I, I like touring a lot now. It depends on where I have to go, um, but I um, I enjoy touring a lot now, and but especially. Like I said, developing friendships around, I get to see all of these people um, face-to-face now that I'm friends with, and it's a major reason to go on tour, especially close friends that I, maybe I grew up with, and then, oh, I get to see them every year, like in Seattle, see my friend Andrew, and uh, hey, you know, that I might not see every year or every other year in general, so it's a, it's a good excuse to go out and really hang out with friends. Yeah, I would get I would get a mix. I would go out for like a because I, I, I used to do comedy, and I always I mm. I cringe at saying it because just usually it, it it brings up the wrong. I people then I don't know just start making assumptions. I know. Yeah. I, you know, I I knew nothing about comedy, but Elisa knows so much about comedy and comedy scene and different things, and she knows a lot about comedy so she has kind of taught me a little not taught me but she informs me on what's going on and and i I know a little bit more especially maybe smaller scene comedy kind of stuff that she's talked about but before i met her i didn't know anything about it yeah it's just when i because i do an interview show and people think i or at least they used to think that when i when they would find out i was a comedian i think they thought i was gonna like be making a lot of jokes and sort of Right, <laughs> and it's like, right. and that's not what this, uh, what I'm doing at all. And I would, right. to me, that makes people uncomfortable. And that's not, I want people to be comfortable and have a conversation, which I think a lot of comedians aren't very good at because <laughs> they, they there's right. a performative aspect to a lot of comedians in even in their social situations, which has always made me uncomfortable when I'm on the receiving end of that. Mm-hmm. That would be a wild podcast where it's just one comedian calling up one person <laughs> under the guise of an interview, and you do, you were just laying new material on them the entire time. That would be a good idea. Well, that could work. A lot of comics do uh, filter in their material, like they'll test it out in conversation, which is always just to me. That's just not a sincere way to live life. And huh. <laughs> yeah, um, and I maybe that's. I, I don't know. I haven't performed in five years, and nor do I have any uh, interest in ever returning towards it. I, that to, to me, the idea of doing comedy is so much more terrifying than any other type of performance I can think of. Except maybe, maybe naked, naked, being naked, doing some kind of performance art. Also, that's quite terrifying. <laughs> but uh, but right under that is comedy. It just sounds. Oh my God, it's just gnarly. I, I don't know how anyone can do that. And, you know, they're performers, they're music performers who are pretty good at being comedic or or being entertainers. Or some people are just great entertainers on stage. And then sometimes people really like that. I mean, it seems like a lot of people like that. Oh, that person's a great entertainer. They're telling stories, and you got the guys telling a story about the song. But I, I can't. I, I, I can't do that at all. Every once in a while, I'll kind of get an inkling to tell a joke or something or tell, and, and if I get one bit of resistance, if the whole audience doesn't crack up, I'm like, oh, fuck that. I'm not doing, I'm not saying shit for the rest of the goddamn show. Stop. Too bad. Do you ever, because <laughs> I can't take it. I can't take it. So I don't know how, I don't know how comedians do it. Do you ever like share the origin of, of the song that you're about to sing? Like what it's about, or do you do ever do any of that? 
or do you just no? I just I just uh, sometimes if if there's a if if there if there's a bit of humor behind it, I might, but. I have, people want to hear, hey, I was drinking some boxed white wine and thinking about the ocean. Check this out. No one wants to hear that shit. Like, I, maybe there might be a story tied to it. Like, oh, I played this song once for this person or something. I have a couple stories I might tell, but, you know, then it goes on YouTube. And then I probably think, I mean, that's a, probably a big thing with comedians. So, you know, and then I don't want to tell the story again. So every once in a while. I might talk a little bit about something tangentially, uh, you know, related to the song, but but I don't. I will not, you know, not usually. Because I've wanted to ask uh, different musicians like w- w- things about uh, or about their songs, like what it means. But I don't know. Is that to because I also feel like some musicians are protective of it, and they're like, it's whatever it means to you. How do you feel about that? Like, yeah. I think it's different in, in, a, in a conversation or, you know, podcast interview than you kind of get a scoop on something. And that's kind of cool. I like to read in interviews, but I really enjoy watching an artist perform and then also tell me about what they're, what, what's going on, you know? So, but I think I, I do like to know where different songs come from here and there. Yeah. So I say go for it. That's what I say. That's my point. I say you ask, not me, but <laughs> you ask those people what the hell their music is about. Uh I'm very fascinated and I've I don't know if I have the uh intellectual capacity to fully grasp the and hexadic hex how do you pronounce it? Because I say hexatic. Hexatic. Yeah. Um, I actually even practiced saying it, and I couldn't get it out. <laughs> but like, I mean, I say hexatic, but yeah, I don't. Um, because I I watched a bunch of videos about it, and I've I read about it a bunch, and I, uh, what? How did that begin for you to create that? approach to music? Uh, well, this, there is sort of this creation myth behind it, which was a real thing that happened. And then, you know, it, it does sound like a myth. And so it has become sort of a myth, which is that I it really did come from a, two dreams in a row that I had. And I was sort of waking up and in that state. Um, and I had a dream. I just had a dream that I was kind of composing with cards. And then I had the, the same dream the next morning as well. So when it doubled up, I thought, Oh, maybe I should, I mean, I'm going to start working on this a little bit. Maybe there's something, maybe, I, maybe this is what I should be doing. And that's how it started. Sounds fake, but it's real. Are you by nature sort of, uh, into that sort of like believe in your dreams and have a, a, I don't know if that would be mystic or spiritual connection. Wait, wait, hold. <laughs> let's rewind. Let's rewind for a second. Are you the kind of person that believes in your dreams? <laughs> so I guess I didn't mean it like well, that. I just was curious. No, no. I just that's a funny thing to say. Do you believe? in your, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but it's a. Do you believe in your dreams? I mean, what, what do you? 
I, what are we saying here? I think uh, I think I was being inarticulate, which is uh, a great skill. No, no, of it's mine. okay. Oh no, I'm not trying to put you. Out. No, just, no, it's I don't. Such a funny idea. Like, I don't believe in my dreams. <laughs> that would be great to me. Yeah, I got dreams, but I don't believe it. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I guess it I does. don't believe in them. I don't believe in my dreams. <laughs> That your dreams are giving you uh, messages and uh, that there's a deeper meaning. But, like, um, I guess I was looking for more of a, a bigger picture of, like, uh, th- like a spiritual context uh, that you... Or is that usually outside of your uh, way of thinking of, like, oh, my dreams presented this to me? Because some people just are like, oh, your dreams are garbly gook and they mean nothing. Y- your nocturnal dreams, that is. Right, right. Um... Uh, well, I, I will say I don't, I don't believe that dreams are just a mechanical aspect of either jettisoning bullshit that you saw during the day. And I don't believe they are a lot of the straight up materialist theories that you read about maybe dreams are a way of training your mind for dangerous situations that are about to come up. I have never read anything like that that I thought was really um, happening. I mean, there's just too many examples of, of uh, people interacting with uh, images or things that they've dreamt about that have, uh, you know, had great effect for them. I, I'm not being very articulate right now. <laughs> just dreams. Dreams are tough. Can't talk about dreams. How can you be articulate about dreams? They're so dreamy and weird. I don't know. Dreams are weird. Um, I mean, I had a series of dreams about our, I dream about my podcast all the time and my guests, especially like leading up to it. And I had a series of dreams last night that we actually were doing this interview as a live performance at a improv festival in Atlanta, which improv festivals are notoriously awful experiences. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I like this. (laughs) Uh, Okay. But um, it, uh, right, but like, but then I would like piece to like, but then I would remember things that I should ask you, and I would like be like, okay, I I need to make a note of that. Um, well, maybe your dream was training your brain. I don't know. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have any answers for dreams. That's interesting because when we were going to do this interview last week, I dreamt about the interview the night before, which was weird. So yeah, that's interesting. Um. But do you have a sort of a spiritual belief or, or cause my wife is a, like an atheist and she's very skeptical. And I, I guess I tend to be more open to that, like, uh, things though. Like now I keep it a little private cause <laughs> yeah, but like I have a, a bit more of a hippie dippy sort of thought about things. And I, I do feel like sometimes your dreams are presenting things to you. Like, um, mm. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that the dream world, uh, yeah, I, I mean, as far as I, I will just say, I think the dream world is more than, more than what's usually presented in just, uh, uh, materialist explanations of, of things. And that's about as far as I'll go, but, um, you know, being an atheist, I mean, uh, sometimes if you take that atheism as far as possible, you actually become quite spiritual. So, you know. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I, when I was reading about the hexatic, uh, you were looking for different ways to approach songwriting. And I was, other than like the other, uh, structures that I guess existed or that you, you were trying to break from. And I was 
did you find, were you in a space where you were like, uh, seeking something new or frustrated where you, where you were at? Uh, well, I mean, the, the hexatic system, should we, do you think people who are listening to this will, should we, should I explain it a little bit or I'm, I'm, I'm afraid maybe it's just, uh, Maybe they don't, nobody will know what I'm talking about, but you know, um, it's basically just for any listener uh, that doesn't know the hexatic system was just a little thing I came up with and how to write music using a deck of cards. And so, I, one of the most interesting thing about doing the hexatic system wasn't doing it or what, what wasn't the system itself, but the um, but the reception of it when it came out because it was very interesting because of the cynicism in general that I knew existed, but it was really curious when I put it out and just, there was a real general, like for instance, there was a lot of thought that it was made up or it was a marketing scheme or just making kind of things up. And yeah, it was, that, that was really interesting to me because I released the music before I released the book that explained how to do it. And then when I released the book, then there was a lot of, um, well, I'm not going to read the book, and uh, but I know exactly what you're doing, and what you're doing is not that interesting. <laughs> so I was like, all right, there was a lot of that, and and it was. But some people, I did meet some friends and some composer friends, kind of um, picked up on some of the stuff. But it's not. I and I got a lot of a lot of stuff. A lot of people saying, "Oh, you know, this is nothing new," and it's not supposed to be new. It's supposed to. It exists in the continuum of other sort of, you know, chance operation stuff. And you're like, "Oh, John Cage did that." Well, of course, John Cage did. And John Cage got his ideas from the I Ching. And yeah, it's, it's it was all part of a continuum. But I I was trying to develop something for more maybe like underground guitar players or more indie kind of players or something like that. So that's what the whole thing was about. Did it open up your new ways for you to approach music in, in general? Like uh, when you write songs without it? Uh, not really. It's really curious. It's, it's its own world. So I can do hexatic sort of compositions and I do that. And then when I step out, I still kind of play the way I usually play or, or still write the way I usually write. They're almost like two separate worlds. It didn't really influence the normal world of playing for me too much. Um, and it's, is there, because I saw a bunch of like other people have done it and you on your website, you would post your post songs that other people have created using it. It's, it seems like it's this, whole sort of got a culture to it it's been cool that was that's 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 the coolest thing about it uh, some people picked it up and maybe they got turned on to more experimental players or composers and yeah some people from my understanding talking with them some people were talking amongst themselves and doing their own um compositions and playing and recording and stuff like that. So, and that was really cool to hear that. So it did kind of start a little thing. I, I need to do some more stuff with it cause I haven't done it in a couple of years, but, um, I think there's going to be a couple more hexatic records coming out. Oh, that's wild. Uh, 
it, it to like I watched a video. I think it was pretty early on of you at a table with another guitarist, and and Elisa was throwing down cards as you were playing, which would all like it was. To me, it was fascinating and wild to watch because I've never seen like I've never seen anything like that. And it, I, ah, yeah. Um, but I, you were talking about your songwriting too, and I saw I saw a quote where it said that you. Your fingers come first, and then the melody comes second. I hope I'm quoting that correctly. Fingers came came first, and before the melody. And does that ring a bell? Because I was curious of what exactly that meant when you when you were writing. That's curious. I would like to. I would like to also ask. I would like to ask myself what I meant at that particular time. It's <laughs> just further proof that it's just a bunch of bullshit. Just like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know what I meant. I'd, I'd have to maybe look at the context of what I was saying. I don't. don't so the fingers come first and then the melody. I mean, well, the, the, I don't know what I meant at the time, but I can. I can say that what the system does is it it doesn't compose for you. It creates a framework that you can compose within. So it just sets up parameters and parameters are great for creation parameters, whether it's time or place or whatever parameters are great. So it, it just sets up these different parameters, you know, play these notes, don't play these notes. There's some things that are specific to the hexatic system that are more musical. I don't know if they're that interesting where they're very octave specific notes. So you might have a G in one octave, but that G is not in another octave, things like that. It breaks up, I don't, I don't want to get too. Uh, it breaks up the twelve tones in sections of six as well, so it's not straight. Um, it's not like a straight twelve tone system, which can be very, um, uh, you know, non melodic. So there's different things specific to the hexatic system as well, um, but that's all kind of musical mumbo jumbo. So yeah, but what what you mentioned about seeing the two guitar players that video, there's a game within the hexatic system as well. So um, that's a part of the game where you can have two guitar players and then you have a dealer, and they deal out the cards one after the other, and it's sort of a combination of. Yeah, it's sort of like a combination between a card game and maybe a little bit of twister because you're kind of telling you where your fingers can go on the on the guitar. And but everything is in a key, so when the two guitar players play back and forth, it's melodious if you want, or you can adjust things so it's less so. And yeah, it's a, actually does not sound fun, but when you get a couple of guitar players and and um, it it can be pretty fun actually. So yeah, I mean when I started researching it, I was blown away by it but i also was uh intellectually intimidated because i was like i don't i I don't i was like i don't think i can those are things i'm not good with in in yeah it's it 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 has a sheen of that but honestly it's not that it's it's really i mean it's not as it's not as intellectual as it is just kind of getting down nitty-gritty of the components of music and the way notes fit together. It's, it's a lot, it's a lot more of that than it is theory or anything. That said, I let my, I gave a copy to my friend, David Tibet, who um, does this band current 93 and is one of the most brilliant dudes I know has, uh, he basically, well, you know, his like, for instance, his latest thing is he actually translates Coptic texts and publishes 
publishes articles in German journals of archaeology, and he's an incredible book collection and everything. And I was with him, and we were with some other people, and he said, oh, this is this is Ben. He did a book called Hexatic System. It's the most incomprehensible book I've ever read. So you're not alone. You know, <laughs> I just I I just don't. There's certain things my brain just is good at, and then there's things that I'm just like, yeah. they don't. And yeah. numbers and I I didn't yeah. Um, I'm not I'm not good at it either. I, I have to say like I I'm, I'm not. It's it just I don't know. One thing just led to another, and then it just started building on itself. But it's its own. Like I said, music same way music wise. Also, my brain like I have to get into that world myself. Be like, okay, now I'm gonna think about things in these terms, and it's a whole other thing for me too. Sometimes. I picked up the book recently and I was going through it. I was like, I, I don't even know where my mind was when I was doing this. It was really, really strange, you know? Um, did, uh, yeah, I was curious if it was just sort of like something you were, like when you, sometimes people write, it sort of comes from another realm. I was wondering, maybe that's where that came from. I think when I was, when I was doing it, uh, yeah, it was definitely more possessed sort of style. Um, but yeah, just have to get into that mind state to get into it. Yeah, to me, when things are like, like that's when I feel like there is a spirituality with music because when I was, just like when I research like jazz musicians or just on my own for my own curiosity of just like the group mind think and uh, I was, Ken Vandermark was talking about a guy he plays with and how they know what they're going to do. The other guy's going to do before he does it. So they do something mm. intentionally different to n- not trick them, but like to, to surprise and right. to build. And it, like that kind of melding of the minds when people are creating is it's, it's, I can't even articulate. It's like, it's unworldly. Yeah. Almost. That in particular, a group of, people who are well-versed in improvisation and are listening to things on that level, that is a different level altogether itself anyway. It's, it's so. fascinating to me. And I've seen people improvise like theatrically in a sim where it's that high bread of where it's just like, it's unworldly and it's just like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, it, I think it was Jim O'Rourke who was talking about, records of improvisation and performance and saying how important they are because there's so much going on that you just, you can't comprehend it even in the first listen. So it's good to have these documents that you can go back to. I think, I think it was Jamar, it might've been Alan Licht, one of those cool guys. And they were talking about that and, and it made a lot of sense. You know, you kind of sort of have to have a document of it to get in there and go back over I've I've wondered or thought about that with like improvised music of like how many magnificent moments of like just pure genius are just lost to that moment, which is yeah, yeah. beautiful on one hand, but also tragic on the other. Yeah, I, I do like that idea. I really like the idea of impermanence in art. Um, you know, something as simple as a sandcastle. I love it. I think it's great. Um, just doing something and and it never being documented. I'm not, it, I, some people are very good at documentation and I'm not. And sometimes I regret it. Sometimes I wish I had more of a document of things that have been done in the past, but I don't know. I think there's something really beautiful about it. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of the, it is the zen of the moment 
I mean, the creation is a very Zen moment, and then it, it never existing again is also, it's almost like part of the art. Yeah, yeah, it's parallel you know, I, with life. It's, yeah, it's great. I love it. Yeah, I've read that uh, Louis, Louis Armstrong and Bick Spiderbeck would, because in the era of, I'm sure you know who Bick Spiderbeck is, but that, you know, there was a black and white guy, and they couldn't play together in public, but they would meet late at night and after like their shows and just play together and i was like fuck is that that's the biggest crime ever that no one or probably yeah. a small amount of people ever got to witness that right but you hear about it so it was is at least documented in stories yeah at least there is some sort of trace there's of the history of it um, who knows? Could have been better than an actual recording. Maybe it sucked. <laughs> that was magnificent in everybody's mind. I don't think so. I don't think so. I want to put that out there, everybody. I do not think it's. I, I just mean maybe two other performers. Maybe they were terrible. Yeah, that maybe they were just playing. Like, they were playing nursery rhymes. <laughs> yeah, you know, but but there's it's in a way it seems like it's still documented to the to the history of it. So that's cool. I mean, did you say Louis Armstrong? Yes. And, uh, no, that's cool. I'm, are you? Yeah, that's cool. Um, how did uh, new? Because new. How did new bums? Because I know you guys have an album coming out March nineteenth. Is the new record? Yeah. Uh, how did the that collaboration begin with uh, you and Donovan? I feel like you and your dreams. I feel like you just picked up a, I feel like you picked up a psychic. I feel like you just picked up my psychic, uh, a thought because I almost talked about how Donovan went through a crazy Louis Armstrong. Like he became obsessed with Louis Armstrong really? for about six months. And that's all he would talk about. And I almost brought that up. But then I thought, Oh, I don't want, I don't want to seem like I'm transitioning to new bombs. So I'm not going to bring it up. And then, you did. So I think you. I think you picked up some psychic waves, my friend. That's funny because I almost said, speaking of uh, brilliant duos, <laughs> I almost used Louis Armstrong <laughs> as a transition. <laughs> now, now I should. I should have said that as a transition. You know, speaking of brilliant duos, I should have said that. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, new bums. Yeah, it's my friend Donovan and uh, and myself and do a little music. And, uh, yeah, Donovan's a brilliant songwriter. I mean, I kind of started the band because his lyrics are so good that I, you know, I just wanted to be a part of it, and, you know, do that sort of thing. And it's, it's pretty, you know, he writes most of the songs, so I just kind of get to play a little guitar um, over the top. And so it's very easy for me. It's what I call a martini band, which is I let them do all the work. I drink a martini, and we get equal credit. It's like playing with my friend Chris Corsano, who's a brilliant drummer. Every time I play with him, it's like, oh, my God, that show was amazing. Yeah, it's amazing because Chris Corsano is an amazing drummer. I don't do shit. I just kind of drink a martini. So it's a martini duo where I don't have to do anything, and I like it. It relax a little bit. Um, and it is, was it like six or seven years between albums or? Yeah. Yeah. We were writing songs in between and collecting stuff, but we, we were just ready. We kind of had the music and we thought, you know, Hey, this is a great time to release music right now. Let's do it right now when nobody can tour and there's no promotion or nobody has any, uh, you know, money to buy records. Let's do it now after seven years. So that's what we did. So yeah, it's coming out in March. I love the title. The last time I saw last last time I saw Grace is, I, I don't know. It just evokes something for, for me. It's like a, a yeah. emotion. 
It's a Donovan Quinn line from one of the songs, and it's kind of got a double meaning because in the song, there's a woman called Grace in that particular verse. But when you pull it out and you throw it on the record cover, then yeah, it suddenly has another meaning. So we thought it would work pretty nice. Well, well done on that. <laughs> That's all Donovan. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I said, yeah, it's great. He just comes up with good ideas, and I'm like, let's do it. Do you do gin or vodka martinis when you when you pl- are the do mart? Uh, it is a vodka martini. I which, can't. Yes, vodka martini. I can't do gin. Uh, maybe that's because I crashed oh. through a mirror when I was 18, drunk on gin, and I know. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah. Well, speaking of my friend Chris Corsano, the who's brilliant drummer. Actually, Chris, you talked with my partner Elisa. You know Elisa, yes. And Elisa just released a duo um, recording with Chris Corsano as well. He's an old friend of ours. Um, where she plays electric guitar and he plays drums. And speaking of gin, he's a big gin guy. He drinks uh, warm gin, which is quite wild. So um, he will be on tour with a bottle of gin. And I noticed it has not been chilled. And he will uh, just sort of sip from this warm bottle of gin, gin, which is, yeah, I think crazy. I'm like cringing at the concept of that. <laughs> he's a wild man. He's an uh, animal. Ray Charles used to put gin in his coffee, which is also just like... I, I, oh yeah! It's like how can so much brilliance make it that bad of a choice? <laughs> that is, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, I've also also heard uh, that you're a magnificent gardener, which is something I, I can't. And that's only a new new discovery. Your gardening uh, desire. This 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 is not. This is I'm I'm getting praise probably from. Elisa, I would never describe myself as a magnificent gardener, but I appreciate that. That's very nice. I do like to go out and uh, grow things. I get it from my mom. My mom is a great gardener. And so I'm lucky because I get to call her up. And my sister's a great gardener, too. So I get to call them up and say, like, oh, what do I do? And they tell me what to do. So it's been fun just to get that knowledge from them as well and be able to put it into action. Mm. So... Yeah, that's been really fun to do that. But I would, I would not go as far as to say I'm a brilliant gardener. I do like the garden. I just is there a because I know like that's what George Harrison just did for his last. I think he bought a big farm or something in Hawaii, and he just spent the most of his life gardening, and it became like this. That's what. That's yeah, what, that's funny you said that because I just watched uh, Keith Richards has a bunch of videos online where people ask him questions and they're great. And one of the questions is they ask him about George Harrison. And that's, that's where I just learned that because Keith Richards mentions that in a video, he says, you know, you like to garden more than anything. So I just learned that as well. That's uh, Keith Richards just has like people. Is it like an ongoing thing where he, people just submit questions to him? I think it was an interview that's then split up into different two or three minute segments, but they're all brilliant. I mean, he's just kind of talking shit about a bunch of people. It's great. Uh, talking shit, a little bit of shit about Led Zeppelin. He's like, I don't know about that band. Um, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it's Keith Richards. He can say whatever he wants. It's he great. Can. It's really good. Yeah. You know, at least probably didn't, I don't know why this would have come up in your guys' conversation, but we met, we met um, Robert Plant once uh, behind the stage at Green Men Festival. And he was just walking around, and Elise and I were just hanging out, and there was nobody else around. We just saw Robert Plant walk by, 
and we accosted him. <laughs> we ran up to him. <laughs> didn't, didn't have any phones or anything. We're like, oh, hey, hey. And he, I don't think he'd played yet. We'd already played. And Elisa, <laughs> so reaches her hand out and says, um, you know, nice to meet you or whatever. They're shaking. And Robert Plant holds his hand out. And as they're shaking, Elisa says, don't worry, I won't steal your mojo <laughs> to Robert Plant. It's incredible. And Robert Plant goes, don't worry, darling, you couldn't. <laughs> it was like, it was a good meeting of minds. I mean, those two together was, it was really, really great. Have you and Elisa, you did something together too, correct? Or am I insane? We did. We did a, we did, we did a band called 200 Years about right. 10, 10 years ago. Yeah, and it was more... Uh, acoustic guitar we wanted to do something that didn't sound so much like either of us so i know I'm, i know i do play acoustic guitar but this was more again a martini band because elisa got to uh, do most of the work and i got to sit back and do <laughs> jack shit it was, i love these bands so that was another martini band and uh, we had a lot of fun but like i said i'm a bit of a contrarian so the way we produced the record was a bit contrarian to what was popular at the time so i had these brilliant ideas like no reverb because everything was drenched in reverb at the time right. um with all the bands so of, of course nobody you know, everyone's like i don't know about this record um yeah sometimes the contrarian move is not the best move for the time but i do believe that over years you know these things may not get tied to the time that they were released at the time so that was the idea um but yeah at least yeah we we had that band and just recently i was listening to uh old skinny puppy record that i was listening in high school i was like i haven't listened to this record since high school i'm gonna listen to skinny puppy and i was going through the tracks and there was a song called 200 years on it and I showed it to Elisa. I was like, oh, my God, I wonder if we subconsciously grabbed our name from a Skinny Puppy song. Wow, Skinny Puppy. I haven't thought about Skinny Puppy. That was like they were huge in Chicago because that was like more industrial, oh, right? Yeah, I would imagine because they took uh, ministry took a lot from Skinny Puppy. So I imagine at some point there was probably like an industrial thing happening where Ogre from Skinny Puppy was coming over. And, yeah, I think he was hanging with ministry. Um, I was trying to think because I... Oh yeah, never mind. I threw you for I threw you for a loop with the industrial talk. <laughs> well, because I was trying to think too if I had an ex who would, I thought dated a dude from Skinny Puppy before me, but it was Diwarza, and I only know these bands mm. because I'm a Chicagoan and you couldn't escape industrial, which I'm not a wild right. fan of, though I did like Ministry. Right. I think I like mm. I, I, when I was younger. I was more tolerant of that kind of loudness. Where now tolerant. it doesn't. <laughs> where now it yeah. doesn't. Uh, some... It makes me frazzled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that was a brilliant wraparound to the beginning of the conversation. <laughs> you, I... you know what you're doing, my friend. I, I tip my hat to you. That was brilliant. Um, that was really good. Well, thank you. And now I have to, I actually had to Google Die Warzaw because uh, I wanted to see the guy that my ex dated. Mm. I just, I wanted to, yes. I, not, that sounded weird. Like I wanted to, I want to think about the guy she fucked before me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a nice Sunday uh, afternoon activity. It's great. Um, no, I started thinking about industrial music because I'm helping, a, I have a friend who is starting to produce music by himself, kind of COVID style, like, hey, I want to do music finally. And he actually owns a record label. I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to out him. But he owns a, uh, I'm not going to out him as an industrial fan. <laughs> and uh, so I won't say anything. 
who he is, but yeah, so he's been getting into industrial music or wanting to do industrial music. So I've been going back into the old industrial uh, music that I listened to as a kid. So that's why I was listening to Skinny Puppy and trying to be like, how do they produce that? How do they do that? Oh, that, that ministry song and, and uh, whatever. So that's kind of why I went back to it. I'm not sitting around listening to ministry. Although, you know, I wouldn't be embarrassed. I wouldn't be embarrassed to, but uh, I don't want to give the wrong impression. All right. Well, I think, thank you for your time. Um, it was, boy, you and a little, I talked to you both very long. Uh, there's, oh, a, awesome. I mean, I ended Thank up you. making her two episodes because we talked so oh, much. Oh, cool. Yeah. I don't feel like you need to do, you, you cut it down. You cut down to 15 minutes if you want. You do whatever you got to do. I will not be, I will not be offended if you cut anything out from what I'm saying. This is bullshit. I don't, you do what, do what you need to do. I usually keep it an hour, but then I put the, I put, yeah. I put the raw, I put all of it up on my Patreon cause I try to. Oh, okay. Get people oh, cool. there so I can... Yeah, give them a little something extra. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, thanks for thanks for calling and uh, talking and stuff. That was, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, I greatly appreciate it, and I uh, I really love your music, and uh, and you've done so much of it. It's... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> call call that back. No, I, I just, like, I don't think I... I, th- I told... I texted... Uh, Elisa, before we started, because I was, you, both of you, inti- kind of intimidated me going into it because uh, both of, just the articles I would read and stuff. I was like, "Fuck, these people are smart." <laughs> and I think, yeah, and then you, and then you talk to us, so you talk to me, like, "Ah, oh, what the fuck was I worried about?" Yeah, the jackass. Uh, then that's that's yeah, that's how it is. That's I put up that I put up the mask. We go back to the mask. Well, I, I have the mask on, very usual, and it's a little more transparent. Jackass. I also right have through. the blue collar, like a working class, low income family thing. I'm, that was where I'm just like, I, I remember like the first time I, I performed at a show at the University of Chicago and I was just like, oh, they're not going to like me because I'm not going to be as smart as them, which was like oh, total yeah. nonsense. But uh, that was just like I know that. I feel that too. I, I, I graduated from high school and I did not pursue any further education. And yeah, like I'm same blue collar family. My, my father is a mechanic oh. and, uh, yeah, I just, yeah. So I know that, I know that feeling of, um, yeah, I know that feeling. So was it um, weird exactly. for you to, to be the person in your family who stepped out and became the creative, the music? Cause I, it literally telling my mom, I wanted to study theater was like, a, yeah. can you have a seat please type of conversation? Yeah, it was, um, uh, I, I remember when I was younger and I remember my father saying something like kind of, you know, uh, what do you think you're going to become a musician? Kind of like, like, is that what you think you're going to be able to do for like kind of bummed on it? And he turned, he, he loved music by the way. So I have to say that, uh, my love of music comes from his love of music and, always playing music very loud he loves stereos and um he was always collecting records so that's where my love of music comes from but i think he did he was hoping that i would do something a little more steady and stable and but it turned around once i was actually able to support myself um through music then i think something switched for him a little bit and uh it's, it's i definitely get a lot more support from the family nowadays yeah, I my mom. There was a period 
and I was like 20 and I was living, my bedroom was a pantry. I had a twin size bed that fit in my friend's yeah. pantry. And my mom was like, maybe it's time to start thinking about what to do something else with your life. And I'm like, first of all, I'm 20. I just fucking started. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. 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 Very similar. Very similar. Yeah. But it's like, then once I had, uh, you know, I was going to say success, which we already talked, but it's like, you know, that's how my parents or fa- my family would define it. It's like, once I got hired by a notable institution, it was yeah. success. Yeah. And I, that, then that got yeah. them off my back. But, the, but then it's like, to me, that definite definition of success fucked my head for a long time because I worked at second city and everybody would get hired by Saturday night live or other TV shows mm. out of there. So that to me was, and people from my cast got hired and my friends all got like one year, like six friends went to fucking New York and I was left behind right. and, and then my career completely shifted and, you know, I had to go back to working real jobs and, there was yeah. like this ego. Yeah. It, it was all ego of like, what the fuck happened? Why am I not there? And like, I became embarrassed, even though I still kept doing creative things. And that, like, I think it took me a long time to realize like your success is not attached to financial gain or yeah. fame. Cause, and like, once I got close to fame, I found it really awful <laughs> like not, not me being right. famous but seeing friends get semi-famous and like they kind of lost their fucking minds and i was like yeah. i don't want yeah. this this seems horrible yeah yeah my the things that signify success to me are not the things for other like if I'm going on tour with some huge band or getting a great review in a big magazine or money or these things are not as important as i've as I've, as I've done this throughout the years, those things are not as important to me as other things that I w- really make me feel good about myself and what I do, such as a couple months ago, someone getting in touch with me and saying that they're uh, maybe um, studying with this one professor of religion and wanted me to know that it was through some of the references in my music that um, sort of inspired them to pursue that 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 trajectory in her life and they're you know getting their doctorate or something like that that to me is, makes me really happy especially someone who never did pursue anything after high school um, education wise and but just that somebody found their path just from a couple of references that makes me happy those connections and that goes back to what i was saying i just wanted to engage with the world from my bedroom you know i'm not good at going out and talking with people but i wanted to do that so those things become much greater signifiers of success for me than things that maybe other bands would consider or other people would. Yeah. yeah. They change. So the thing, they just shift like this, this idea shift. Yeah. That's, I've gotten some email. Like I got a guy wrote to me on Twitter or what something a couple of years ago, but he was just like, and I was like, just in a bad spot with like what I was doing with my life. I probably was working some shitty bar job. This guy was like, hey, I saw you perform back in, like, blah, blah, blah. And just he was like, I just want you to know that, like, you know, you inspired me to pursue this, and I'm working, doing... The, and it was just like this... You're yeah, like, oh, that's great. Like, it's like those kind of things are like... That's... I... Or probably we started doing this, not because we... I, I didn't want to be a fucking god. I thought it was fun, and it made me feel good, and it was... 
And then it be- started be- when it started to become about other things, about I got to sell a TV show, and and then dealing with all yeah. that stuff. It was uh, I didn't feel good. I felt gross, and I was like not pursu- yeah. pursuing things instinctually. I was pursuing them for the wrong reasons and it became uh fucking gross so i quit <laughs> yeah i mean i, yeah, I yeah. do things but i'm like i don't give a fuck about where it you know uh where yeah. it's gonna go although when you said when you said that uh you didn't want to become a god i imagined you interviewing robert plant and saying what's your measure of success <laughs> and him saying i always wanted to be a god and I did it. I'm a goddamn uh, rock god. <laughs> I mean, I did briefly as a kid. I wanted to be. I wanted to be John Belushi. I wanted his career. I want. But I mean, I was in high school. And it, uh, You're like that looks like fun. <laughs> it, it looks funny. That's amazing. That's so cool. But it was. Uh, yeah. But then it's like it's weird because then I watched the Belushi documentary recently, and I with that now would not want that at all. Like I haven't wanted that kind yeah. of. But to and it's to me the documentary is a cautionary tale of watch what you wish for. Watch out! Like fame is yeah. not is only going to make your life more complex, and whatever is your demon is going to grow. And it, I was like, I, yeah, yeah, I couldn't imagine. I just that kind of I, I couldn't imagine it. I I would I would kill myself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, he, like the thing in Cobain's diary was he said, he wrote, I want to be a rock god or I'm going to be a rock god. And it's like, right. didn't seem too happy with when he arrived. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Although Robert Plant is, so, you know. I think some people do. I think some people <laughs> yeah. do, I think, thrive in that environment. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. probably... Endless amounts of sex with a huge number of people. Probably they're like, "Yeah, this is good for me." <laughs> and and animals and uh, yes. inanimate objects and the clouds <laughs> and the heavens and the cosmos and Saturn. Uh, don't, don't leave anybody out or anything out there. I think he's. I think he's. Uh, yeah, I think he's communed with a lot in this cosmos. Yeah, it's. Uh, I can the the level of partying those people did. All like Belushi, all of them. I'm like. Yeah, I couldn't. Uh, I've had moments where I've like partied hard for a day, and then I was like done for, <laughs> for like a week. Yeah, yeah. It takes a, it takes a different type, uh, sort of stamina to be that sort of thing. I don't have it. Uh. All right, good sir. Well, I thank you for your okay hour and a half of time. Awesome. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, seriously. Thanks I'm, for asking. I'm, the shadows of the city crawl into very much for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your itunes or what have you not and tell your friends about the show that would mean a lot to me as well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the mattdwire.com or conversations with the wire at the instagram and you could learn more about the show buy merch and all those great things thank you very much for listening